And this is Alicia Bales. I'm live in the Philo studio tonight. And tonight it is a fifth Tuesday. So we have an open hour. Uh, usually this hour is the ecology hour, rotating with four hosts throughout the month. But on fifth Tuesdays, we have an open hour to do a, a public affairs show about any issue relevant at the time. So we just leave a little bit of space in our broadcast schedule so we can address uh, current events. And tonight, our topic is what else? The county's ever-evolving cannabis ordinance. We have with us 5th District County Supervisor Ted Williams live on the Zoom for an open lines discussion about the county's cannabis ordinance. Listeners may have heard about the Board of Supervisors' vote to update the local cannabis regulations from what's called Phase 1 to Phase 3. And that vote took place last week, and once it w- once that new version of the cannabis ordinance was approved, advocates for two different voter referenda started collecting signatures to put the issue to a vote uh, by voters of Mendocino County. One of the I guess I'm calling them referenda. What do you call them? Referendums. Referenda uh, calls itself small as beautiful. It's proposed by those who want to repeal a provision in the new ordinance that allows the expansion of cannabis cultivation. The other ordinance, the other referenda aims to throw out the entire ordinance as passed in order to address concerns about what they say, rangeland cultivation or cultivation of cannabis on rangeland and expansion into rangeland, drought and water issues and other environmental issues in the county and to require the county to conduct an environmental impact report on changes to the cannabis law. Uh, As organizing efforts move into full swing to oppose the county's updated cannabis ordinance, many people are wondering why, if it's as terrible as organizers for the referenda claim, a majority of our board of supervisors would ever have voted for it. So tonight, Supervisor Williams is here to make the case for the local ordinance as it was voted on by the supervisors last week. This is going to be a call-in show, and the lines will be open for questions and for differing viewpoints. Uh, Welcome, Ted, to KZYX. It's nice to see you again. Um, I want to mention that Supervisor Williams is scheduled to be on TKO tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock with Karen Audubonny, where they'll talk about all things not cannabis. But tonight, we're going to focus, delve into the cannabis issue. So, again, welcome, Ted. Briefly, can you just start by telling the listeners what is Phase 3 of the county's cannabis ordinance and why did you vote for it? So, the county passed a cannabis ordinance back in uh, 2017, and this is as the state voters uh, were deciding to legalize cannabis cultivation statewide. And it, it was broken into multiple phases, and it was it was for good reason. The idea was to bring the existing uh, farmers into compliance first, pull them from um, where they were, you know, where they were in an illegal market into a legal regulated uh, market. And uh, phase three was the last phase of that 2017 ordinance that would open cultivation to new applicants, people who weren't previously cultivating. Mendocino County took uh, a route different than we see throughout the state um, in that we gave a head start to folks who could prove that they were they were cultivating in Mendocino County prior to Proposition 64. So th- there's a lot of confusion around the, the nomenclature, when you hear uh, phase three, there's actually two phase three um, cannabis um, uh, codes. One is what was passed in 2017. The other is a modification that we just uh, made to that phase three based on lessons learned. So the, uh, the original phase three uh, used a ministerial permit, meaning uh, you apply, you pay the fee, 
and um, and our staff issues a permit. No 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 site specific review. And we saw that uh, in a lot of cases that didn't work. We had cultivation in places it wasn't appropriate, negatively impacting the environment, negatively impacting neighborhoods, probably not where we want to see it in the future. So we took um, best practices that we, we could found in other counties and applied what we thought were local land use values and decided that as uh, new applicants come into the system, we want to put them on more appropriate land, agricultural land, for example rather than uh, a, a hillside above a watershed. So, you know, I could talk for the next hour, but I'd, I'd, um, I'd, I'd rather you help uh, pinpoint some of the questions, maybe uh, let the callers choose uh, how to steer this. Yeah, absolutely. And we will be opening up the phone lines. There are a lot of points of view in the county and uh, KZYX wants to give airtime to all of them. It's a very lively debate. And I think that all sides have pretty compelling points, uh, but we we just haven't heard from you yet uh, in this latest round since the vote happened about why uh, why the the ordinance as written and as passed by the supervisors last week is the in your opinion, the best way to go uh, versus the the two referenda that are now uh, gathering signatures. So one of the things, you talked about the difference between a ministerial permit and I think the new phase three version has a land use permit that allows for review and mitigation and changes to the permit process. But I think the real um, controversial aspect of the new version of the phase three ordinance is the what's called the 10 percent expansion so can you explain to listeners what what that is yeah historically cannabis was a very high value crop um you know back in the day it may have fetched five to seven thousand dollars per pound today actually last week uh, i heard prices are as are as low as 250 a pound and uh, the state two hundred fifty dollars, and the state takes uh, a huge part of this in in taxes. And so, what historically was uh, feasible as a say a backyard grow, maybe twenty five plants, um, may not be so feasible today. I think it's 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 on the edge of um, of break even for a lot of folks who are in the legal market. And a couple years out, um, it, it may not work at all. And so, there will be pressure to scale up. Right as people find that um, the price is falling and they need to produce more volume uh, to get by, they're going to want larger grows. We, at least four of us, uh, felt that the place for larger grows is not in the hills. It's not in backyards. It's on agricultural land in some cases, on rangeland, and we have to be really careful discussing rangeland. We didn't open up all rangeland. I've seen calculations about how much rangeland we have and if 10% of that is uh, planted with cannabis. That's not where we went. We decided that existing crops could be replaced. So say there's uh, alfalfa or there's a a grape field. The grapes could be removed, could remove two acres of those grapes and plant two acres of cannabis. The idea being that it's not a new impact. That's land that's already irrigated, it's already tilled, has an existing crop, um, we thought that that would be um, a, a reasonable standpoint for allowing expansion without creating a significant environmental impact. Okay, let's back up a second. So, so far, we haven't heard about 10% at all. So we've heard well, the so reasons what, yeah, for so, wanting so, to so allow um, more cultivation in the county, economic uh, reasons for that, and trying to make it a potentially um, viable 
agricultural crop for people, but what where does the 10% come in there? Because that's really where the controversy started to explode. The, the, uh, the 10% was decided as being appropriate for rangeland and agriculture uh, lands. And um, it's, I think it's a, it's a bit of a misnomer that you would have 10% of a parcel size covered in cannabis because it's the state that licenses cannabis, not the county. Although a lot of people consider it to be a county program and maybe a failed county program, it, it's the state that has the licensing responsibility combined with local county permitting. And there's a lot of regulation uh, from the state. Uh, if we had flat farmland, a 100-acre parcel, you may be able to, under our code, uh, grow 10 acres. When we went out and looked in the field, most of the, the land um, has is sloped. And uh, I looked at several 100-acre-plus parcels where I could only identify maybe a couple acres. And I checked with staff to get their take, and they thought the same thing. So, you know, 10% may be the same as 5%. Maybe maybe it's the same as as two percent. That just given the the state environmental regulation as far as slope and water and all the other characteristics, it's unlikely that uh, many parcels would be able to utilize up to ten percent. But that said, uh, it seemed like on say agricultural parcels where you could grow on a hundred acre parcel, you could grow a hundred acres of industrial hemp or a hundred acres of of grapes. Uh, that would be the place we would want cannabis to be grown. And, you know, the research, UC Berkeley is doing a lot of research on the water impacts of cannabis. What I've seen so far is uh, there, there was a report that came out on Monday highlighting cannabis may have similar water use as tomatoes. And uh, I've seen other research to highlight that it's less consumptive has less water consumption than, than grapes so if you're you know, if you're allowing a farmer who's growing 100 acres of grapes to remove some some number of acres and replace it with cannabis that may actually be a net win to water and likely doesn't create a new environmental impact mm-hmm. okay but so I'm, I think still, I'm gonna roll it there's, back there's a lot of, again go, um, what does the what does the ordinance say about 10 percent what is what is the actual language in the ordinance the, that, that up to 10% of the parcel size can be permitted uh, for cannabis cultivation on rangeland and uh, ag, ag land. Okay, so when you're talking about having walked and, and seen areas on slopes and in watersheds and uh, water, water concerns um, limiting, maybe you said 10 acres could mean 5 acres or 2 acres, or no, you said 10% could mean 5% or 2%. You mean because in the new phase three, they have to um, go through this, this land use permit process because, because because the 10 percent set a ceiling uh-huh it didn't provide a guarantee and it didn't say anywhere anybody. on the on the parcel no, no no and 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 the difference the existing ordinance uh 10a17 didn't provide any site-specific review so you could fill out an application submit it be given a uh, embossed receipt and eventually get a permit without your neighbors ever coming forward or having an opportunity to, to voice concern under under the land use model these projects go before the planning commission. So there's an opportunity to say no. Why would we say no? Uh, environmental impact, uh, concerns about adequate water, uh, results of a hydrologic study showing that the water use could impact neighboring wells, um, 
you know, maybe the site already has illegal cannabis with a generator running. There's a lot of reasons why the Planning Commission could deny an applicant. Whereas under the old model, everybody was uh, was given an embossed receipt. Basically, you know, submit an application, pay the fee, mm-hmm. and uh, start growing your cannabis. And I think we saw that model didn't work. We have uh, more complaints than the county can handle. And it's a system that didn't uh, didn't generate state annual licenses, which is a necessity for the cultivator. A um, question about the, the permit process as it exists. It it seemed like it didn't work, you said just now, because it generated a lot of complaints, but it also didn't work because there's a huge backlog of permits waiting for approval, even after years in the process. Can well, you talk about that? Yeah, I think there's, I think there's culpability in all directions. Mm-hmm. I think the state set up a model that couldn't possibly work for a county with uh, uh, pre-existing cultivation sites. And you, you read the state's PEIR uh, document, their environmental document, and it doesn't seem to take into into account pre-existing. There's an assumption that all cultivation after Prop 64 will be new cultivation. That's not what we have in Mendocino County. We have thousands of pre-existing sites. Some of them uh, may have operated under uh, medical marijuana. Some of them may have just been outlaw activity, but we want to try to grandfather in those sites as much as possible, force them into, into compliance. That's not the direction the state took it. And then uh, you have um, a planning department that, um, well, originally it was the ag department that took on the, the cannabis permitting, and then it transferred to the planning department. Neither were staffed adequately to process the, the applications. The county, uh, I think, knowingly, um, assigned a, a fee that didn't cover the cost of um, performing the review on the applications. You know, so where we charged $1,000 is probably $10,000 worth of work. And planning generally works on a cost recovery basis. It's not perfect. We don't recover all costs, but you generally want the applicant to pay a permit fee that covers the cost of paying a staff person to do the processing. And so it, didn't, it wasn't self-funding. And then last, I think uh, a lot of the applications are low quality, and I know some cultivators will, you know, argue that it's the state's fault or it's the county's fault. And it may be that there are some applicants that really did their homework and submitted excellent applications, and I want to do everything I can to make sure they get through the system. There are also um, a handful of applicants who uh, submitted applications that are grossly incomplete, and, I, you know, I've seen some of that correspondence of planners asking again and again and again. For example, um, you know, plot plan that's a uh, looks like a square drawn with a crayon on the paper. Well, and, I've always you know, thought another, it was a, a big ask uh, to to yeah. ask a renegade black market economy for forty years to suddenly like, yeah. get really good at writing permit well, documents and doing well, research. Well, the, the they, a lot is, of them are out of out of that because they just don't like being in that kind of a system. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I hear it. And, you know, they probably weren't dealing, used to dealing with a lot of government regulation. And then here comes one, one of the most regulated uh, in, in industries ever in California. So, you know, I, I, I have sympathy, but at the same time, uh, the county uh, has to provide the state with this documentation to finish the dual uh, permitting and licensing. And we know if we send the state um, say our sample application, which has actually been submitted by one applicant, and unfortunately it didn't match what they have on the ground. You know, the state will look at that and reject it. And so, you know, it's put the county in a role of um, working with people who don't have a lot of history writing um, uh, planning documents. And you know, looking back, what what could we have done better? Maybe, 
maybe some workshops, uh, maybe not accepting incomplete applications, perhaps charging a fee on every submission so that it would have been self-funding. I, I think it's a shame that we have uh, some applicants who really have um, uh, done everything right stuck in a queue with other applicants yeah. who have submitted you know, 20% complete applications. Well, and it seems like if, if you're bringing a ne- the next phase, if you're editing the next phase, updating it, trying to learn from the mistakes of the past and, and bring this forward in a way that works, you still have the opportunity to do all of those things that you feel like should have been done the first time around, you know, workshops and outreach and that. But I, I really do want to get back to this issue issue. I'm still confused about the 10%. And here's why, because uh, the the supervisors did pass the ordinance as written with the 10% expansion, but I'm seeing a lot of of traffic on social media and statements that you're not going to keep the 10%, that the the board is actually going to take the recommendations of the planning commission and cap it at two acres. Can you explain that and why the supervisors would have voted on the 10% if they don't intend to keep it? The So um, last year, most of the year, I watched Supervisor McCowan tried to bring forward a land use ordinance. And um, uh, Supervisor Haschek and I are, are friends, I, I hope, and uh, he, he didn't want it to be heard. And that's not really the role of the chair. Um, you know, when an agenda item is submitted with a top proper time frame and the pertinent information, it, it should make it to an agenda. And it, and it didn't. And it put the county in a position uh, this year where we were up against a state deadline. And uh, not passing an ordinance or, say, uh, making changes uh, to the ordinance so that we would trigger a, sec- a second reading that, that couldn't happen before uh, the end of June would have meant an EIR that would be, take multiple years. The Wildlife Services EIR, I believe, took about four years. Figure uh, several months to fund and write the specification and get a contractor in place, and then you know a few months to approve it. It could we could be looking at a five-year uh, moratorium on legal cannabis in Mendocino County, and so I don't think any of the supervisors wanted to go that route. Um, we know that if we don't have a legal regulated system, uh, cannabis cultivation will continue and it won't have oversight, which isn't good for neighbor neighborhoods or the environment. But we also recognize there was a lot of concern about um, uh, scaling up uh, too much too fast. And so uh, concurrent with passing the new 2218 ordinance, uh, we directed staff with some very specific ideas about a phased in approach where we would allow uh, after the drought, we would allow applications for uh, two acres of cultivation. And then uh, Superver- Supervisor Jurdy uh, persuaded us to have a, a couple public hearings uh, to see how that, how that process uh, unfolds before we move on to larger grows about three years out. Okay, so, uh, that, hasn't, so that hasn't come back for a vote. So these are just ideas at this point. But uh-huh. I got the sense that uh, the full board was uh, supportive. And I imagine something similar to what I described will pass. All right, so the reason that you voted on the ordinance as is with the 10%, even though the board appears to not want to keep the 10% uh, part of the ordinance is that you needed to get it voted on before the end of June so as to not trigger an environmental impact report process. That's correct. Uh, We didn't want a multi-year moratorium on legal cannabis, and this is the way to get there while still respecting what um, a lot of members of the public want, which is uh, smaller grow sites. The other other advantage is uh, we've set, I think we've set the upper limit, 
And we don't know where cannabis will go in the years to come. Perhaps it'll stay viable uh, at small scale, less than two acres. Um, or perhaps it won't. And it's the nature of, of commodities. And, you know, we're going through uh, transition with prohibition ending. And it could be that uh, a quarter acre of cannabis, which is what's allowed today, may not be viable. And, we, you know, we don't want to spend a million dollars and ha have a several year delay while, uh, while we scale up. So I think the way we've done it allows us to set a, set a, a maximum ceiling, set a lower limit, and phase in uh, larger grow over time if we find it to be appropriate. It is hard to take uh, the idea that you passed something, but you're going to change it in the future. Um, so th that's my question is, how do we know that the process is going to work? How long is it going to take to remove the 10% um, aspect of this ordinance and put in the phased in approach? Do you have any idea? Is that concrete or is that just sort of uh, in the future vague thing that you, you want to do, you're gesturing toward, but you don't know when or how? Supervisor Jurdy uh, gave indication that uh, it could happen this summer. I don't know exactly what month or what day, but um, I've also heard, you know, some uh, complaints on social media about the supervisors are doing this only to award off a referendum. And, you know, once the referendum um, fails to materialize, then they'll, they'll drop it. I don't think that's the case. I think the supervisors in good faith are trying to find a compromise, trying to save public money trying to meet the state deadline in a dual permitting licensing system that's um, that you can't sum up in a sound bite. It's, it's incredibly complex. You know, it's been, by some it's been termed um, expansion that we're letting new people in. Well, um, our constitution uh, uh, doesn't allow us to create classes of people. We can't say people who are cultivating historically have the right to submit an application to get a permit, but other people don't. Equal protection doesn't allow that. We have to let people in. It was always foreseen that we would have a phase three. We've delayed it about as much as we can delay it. And so, you know, if we're going to have a legal cannabis market, it's going to be open to all applicants. What we can regulate is land use. And I think we've done a pretty good job of uh, putting new cannabis on more appropriate land, not in residential neighborhoods, on, on land that's uh, zoned for growing crops. All right, let me reintroduce you. This is Alicia Bales. I'm live in the studio here on Zoom. With me is 5th District Supervisor Ted Williams, and we're using this 5th Tuesday Open Public Affairs slot to talk about the local cannabis ordinance, and in particular uh, to make the case for the vote for the county's cannabis ordinance. Ted Williams is here to explain why uh, why he thinks that's the best idea for the county uh, in the face of two referenda that are being, uh, signatures are now being gathered to roll back. One wants to roll back the entire ordinance and, dis and get rid of it completely, and the other wants to do a line item veto on the 10% uh, cap on um, on parcel size for the size of, of new grows. Uh, I think I've got that right, but I'm going to go ahead and open up the phone lines well, to let listeners weigh in on Alicia, this. Yeah, go Alicia, ahead. Alicia, if I could comment, I, I hear you talking about two, two efforts. The, uh, an effort to modify language, I don't know, I think you said striking some words. A line item I, veto is what I... Yeah, it's I not, there's, re there's really, I don't think there's such, such a thing. I think it's kind of weird. And, um, you know, what, what, what's allowed is um, re, uh, the voters can uh, collect signatures to repeal the ordinance, which, frankly, if it were repealed, 
we would revert to the phase three in in ten a seventeen, which you know I think would be uh, would be horrendous because it would be the kind of problems we've seen with cannabis all over the county, amplified with you know new people coming in without any sort of discretionary review. So I don't I don't think that's a good outcome. The idea that you could go through a uh, an ordinance and strike a word here or there. I mean, rem- imagine removing the word not just one word, what, what kind of implications that could have. This isn't something that can easily be severed. And so, you know, there's, there's a few possible outcomes. One is, you know, such an effort may just not be valid. Another is maybe a judge would consider it to be a repeal of the whole ordinance, which would have the uh, impact of potentially wiping out all cannabis farming in Mendocino County for, for several years. And I don't, I don't know if that's really what the people who drafted it uh, intend. Well, I'm curious about this because Sonoma County has opted to move forward with an EIR for their cannabis policy. Is all growing of cannabis in Sonoma County going to be suspended until that process is over? No, Sonoma County, um, you know, we're moving from a ministerial process to a discretionary process. Sonoma County, also having trouble with uh, cannabis, um, decided that they should move from a a discretionary land use to ministerial. Oh, so they're going the (laughs) opposite direction. Which is kind of of ironic that both counties are saying, hey, this isn't working, Uh, let's switch models, and, you know, we're almost swapping. But, you know, that's at a high level. When you look at the specifics, um, it's it's really apples and oranges, and they're not focused on grandfathering and existing cultivation so much as uh, allowing new cultivation. Mm -hmm. But they're even going through the EIR process, their existing uh, ordinance is going to stay in place, or does the whole thing just shut down all over the county? Um, I don't. I don't think they're going to. As I understand, they're not going to have a shutdown, but I think it's 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 in flux. Um, with with the you know you're talking when you talk about um, envi- EIR, mm-hmm. a discretionary um, process does have environmental review sure if well, you know anybody who's concerned should look at the, what's required on a use permit application it has to describe how the project fits the moral character of the community mm-hmm. you, know, they, you brought up today, the, the uh, wildlife have, services have, eir and i don't believe that the wildlife services contract was was the wildlife services contract suspended while that eir went through the process it was it was and it, i it I don't remember it taking four years, though. I remember the litigation taking four years. But do you really think, where are you getting this number that it's going to be five years to, to do an EIR? Well, looking at looking at the, the length of other EIRs, mm-hmm. there's some examples where EIRs have cost less and have been a little bit quicker. Trinity, I think, was 240. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, Trinity is a much smaller county, and a lot of the county is federal land. And when you look at this, the sheer size of Mendocino County, um, studying all of our, our watersheds, for example, uh, I think it's a multi-year endeavor. Mm-hmm. All right. And, well, we do have our first caller. So let me put the number out there. Uh, it's 707-895-2448. It's the number here in the studio. We're talking about the local cannabis ordinance with Ted Williams, our fifth district supervisor from Mendocino County. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hey, thanks a lot, Alicia and Ted. I really appreciate you making time for this topic. And I I just want to kind of roll back some of the discussion to alcohol prohibition just for a minute, because I've worked for 32 years in the alcohol industry, and that's just what I do. And I'll tell you that there are regulations that came about both on the federal and state level that... um, you know, post-prohibition that we're still living with. And it's taken all these years to start to change some of those things kind of in favor of the small producer. And just going back even further, Mendocino County was a dry county before prohibition. 
and there were places like Point Arena that incorporated as a city just to have alcohol. And there was a time where Point Arena, for example, had, I don't know, 20 or 25 bars on, on the main road there. And, and so it's taken years and years to change. And, um, and one of the comments you made there is, you know, how does all this fit Ted, into the, the, you know, the moral character of, of the community? And there's such wide um, ideas about what's moral and what fits into the moral character of our community that I just want to ask that everybody take a big, deep breath and um, look at look at who, just who the people are. Ted, you said you can't you can't um, uh, prevent individuals, but you can regulate land use. But that fitting into the moral character is where individuals get regulated. And so it comes down to, you know, are we good, honest, upstanding business people, or, you know, do we have links to organized crime? And I'll tell you, I can't get a license from the federal government or from alcohol beverage control without an FBI background check, without proof that I don't have a connections to organized crime. And, and because I have a perfect record, I've, I've never spent time in jail and I don't do business with criminals and so on, I get to have a distilled spirits plant. I get to have a, uh, an alcohol beverage control license that allows a limited retail. And, 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 and with the county, I went through a minor use permit process most recently with my, um, my new license that allows limited retail. And so all of that, you know, to get here to where I can sell a bottle out of the distillery to, to a nice old couple who comes by and just wants to say hi and have a look, it's taken us all the way from 1933 to get there. And so I just want you all to just think about that as we go forward with, with cannabis and find out how it's going to fit into our community and how it's going to fit into our community 100 years from now because the decisions we're all making today will affect us all in 90 and 100 years, and uh, we're doing it for the future too. So listen, Ted, I want to thank you all for, you know, especially the uh, – Member of the Board of Supervisors, you're, the work you're doing on all this is really admirable, and it's hard to please everybody, and I really get that. So all i got to say is keep plugging away, and we'll find a way to make it all work. And thank you very much. Thank you for the call. All right. Thanks for that call. Yeah, encouraging to take a long-term view of this, for sure. It's been in our community for 40, 50 years now. It's been actually one of the economic drivers of our community. Uh, and... We are in a very uh, tumultuous transition where we're making choices about the future of it. But also one of the things that is governing literally the whole discussion is Prop 64. And there are things, uh, the state law that provisionally legalized cannabis but made it highly regulated it didn't decriminalize it it legalized it to be regulated and so there's nothing that the county or any of the counties in the region can do or in the state can do that that doesn't comply with prop 64 so when you're looking at it and thinking about the needs of the community versus what prop 64 allows how much of a discrepancy do you think is there ted can you do what the community oh, needs I- I, I think it's significant if, if, if the local jurisdiction had the ability to put the, um, the program together from scratch with our own criteria. Yeah, I think we would bring in people who've been growing cannabis and uh, probably opposition, and together we'd find a solution that works uh, for most residents. But, but that's not what we have to work with. We have a state framework, mm-hmm. and we're, we're, 
trying our best to fit it into a community. I mean, you have project, you have sites where the neighbors never knew there was cultivation. They didn't have a problem with it. They didn't know it was there. Now, the now that their the applications are coming forward, they don't they don't want cannabis growing next door to them on a residential uh, parcel, and that's um, that's a really problematic uh, dynamic. And um, you know, I think it's it'll continue to be contentious, but with the price falling, with under legalization. We, we know the pr- there will be pressure to scale up, and you, the place to scale up is ag land and, where, and places where there's ample water and where the water won't affect neighbors. Let me give you an example. The existing ordinance, 10A17, which is what will come into effect if there's a successful referendum, uh, doesn't require on-site water. So you have approximately 150 cannabis farms, mostly in the east part of our county, they don't have any water. They rely on water trucks to haul. There's nothing environmental, environmentally uh, um, uh, uh, suitable about uh, water trucks. And, you know, those neighbors are right. They don't want to hear these uh, diesel water trucks running up and down their dirt driveway. I wouldn't want that next to me. So when people ask, um, you know, why four supervisors pass this new ordinance, it's to provide better environmental protection and better neighborhood protection. All Somebody right. wants to grow cannabis. We problem, you know, as a as a county, I don't think we have an, we have a, a concern about it unless it creates negative impacts. Bringing we those projects before the planning commission is a way to evaluate uh, negative impacts before they take hold. All right, let's take our next call. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hi, um, I have two comments and actually questions for the supervisor. Um, so my understanding is in residential areas, if, if there's an issue of changing the zoning from um, residential, rural residential, to commercial agricultural, and that's a land use issue that people are, um, I think, feeling very threatened, I know, feeling very threatened by. Yeah, that's um, that- and, and then that's I want to just say the second, and I'll take my answers off the air. Um, well, you can, take, okay. you can take them on air if you want. Well, but she's going to ask a second. She's going to ask a second question. So, yes, and my second question has to do with: is is there a trade off? I, I feel like there might be a trade off between allowing the time that an application. Uh, takes to go through and an EIR process. So you're, it, what's the trade-off there? I mean, uh, it, the EIR is going to offer per, um, protection for the environment. And if we rush, if I know there's, I know this has been a long process, and I know it's difficult, but it doesn't make sense to um, ru- um, push something up in timing at the potential cost of the environment. Those are my two statements and questions. Thank you. I'll take my answer on the air. All right. Thanks for the questions. Ted? So the, the first question about uh, rezoning from rural residential to commercial, um, I, I think that's uh, misinformation. I don't know where that where, what the source is, but the county is not looking at uh, rezoning. That's not part of this ordinance. And then the second part about the EIR, and wouldn't it be better to just wait one of the difficulties is we think there may be as many as uh, eight to 9,000 cannabis sites countywide. About 1,158 of those have been brave enough to fill out an application and attempt to come into compliance. And those 1,158 
um, very few have, have gotten their state license because the county put together a, a permitting ordinance ahead of the state environmental document. Turns out it just doesn't match. And we think a lot of those, maybe as, as many as 90% won't be successful in getting their state license. Puts them in a difficult place. They've been cultivating, it's their livelihood. They were honest enough to come forward and come into the legal system. And they're about to be booted out. I don't think we can wait for a multi-year EIR before letting them uh, continue cultivating in the legal market. A lot of these farms don't have a fallback plan. It's not like they can take two or three years off and, and wait. And uh, I also don't want to see um, us bring back the uh, outlaw market. If we create outlaws out of the 1,158 in our, our system, we're going to have complaints, and it'll be a real shame if we um, take enforcement action against people who um, tried to do what they thought was right, what we asked them to do, come into compliance. As far as the, environment, the EIR providing environmental uh, protection, I'm not so convinced that, there, that there's much um, uh, environmental protection to gain in doing that EIR up front. The land use ordinance requires cumulative impact to be analyzed. And it requires most of what an EIR would look at, that site-specific re review will happen. Humboldt County has about four to five times as many planners. They do 70 land use permits per year for cannabis. Um, you know, we may be talking about a dozen the first year, and that may be a good learning, learning experience to figure out what works and what doesn't work. But I, I really don't think we can hold off multiple years to start what will be a very slow process. All right. So now, again, as a non-expert, as a lay person watching this from a distance and as a voter, uh, I don't understand all of the layers of timelines then. So if we have 1,158 people who have filed for permits out of eight to 9,000 cannabis sites, and now you're saying in the best case scenario, we'll get through 12 of them in a year, how does this not keep people in the illegal market? It is, it is a problem. If we do everything we can to accelerate um, uh, transitioning folks into uh, the new land use ordinance, it will take years. And there's, we don't have an answer to that. We've asked the state for assistance. Um, a lot of counties are in this position, but Mendocino County has a huge legacy industry. You know, you go to um, uh, Nevada County, I think they have a similar problem, but um, as I understand, there may only be about 30 um, applicants. We have 1,158 today, and we haven't opened the door to the rest of the previously outlaw industry, and we haven't opened it to new applicants who weren't previously cultivating. So, yeah, we're uh, looking at the landscape across the state. Uh, everyone has trouble with Prop 64. Our legacy industry probably puts us in number one place. Um, maybe Humboldt is number two and having difficulty uh, getting the tra uh, everyone transitioned. I see. So you're saying that no matter what you do, Prop 64 creates a bottleneck that doesn't take into account that there may be thousands of people who want to apply for this process because they've been growing in this county for decades. The other thing that I just find so, so tragic and unfortunate about this is that Mendocino County is not uh, necessarily a place that can compete with the lar large agricultural counties for row crops, right? We've got our specialty crops and we've got specialty crops that have worked hard to make themselves a name for Mendocino County and the, the Appalachians and the wine industry is the perfect example. And Mendocino and Humboldt have built this reputation for marijuana cultivation, for cannabis. And as we dither around over years and people aren't able to, to stay in the industry, I feel like we 
actually lose and sacrifice the thing that gives us an economic leg up over counties that can succeed in more large-scale agricultural growing. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with all of that. You know, I think what, what probably all Mendocino County residents and all county super want, supervisors want is um, neighborhood protection, environmental protection, and uh, viable legal and responsible uh, industry. And I think we're fighting about how we get there. My position is continuing the existing failed ordinance will not get us there. It'll just amplify the problems that we've already seen. We, we need these changes. And, you know, Supervisor Haschek is the, um, the one supervisor who, who is not in favor of it. But I know he's not in favor of it because he, he also cares about the environment and he cares about neighborhoods. And, and I think he represents a district that um, uh, may have a mindset that if we, uh, if we lock the market down, we don't let new people in and we keep it small, maybe we can control the supply and demand and keep prices up. And I, you know, I think that's noble. And Mendocino County does have a name that's known associated with cannabis. And it may be that we can keep a higher price. And, you know, we would like our legacy to be a small farm. So I think there's a lot of agreement on the, the high level where we want to uh, ultimately be. It's just a question of how we get there. I, I tend to think that it, it's a statewide market, soon to have interstate commerce, Mexico's legalizing. There's a lot of competition. Maybe Mendocino County can keep a price uh, double uh, commodity um, uh, cannabis from from other states. I don't know that we can keep ten times the price. I don't think consumers will, you know, pay ten times as much for a product from Mendocino County. Mm-hmm. And um, and I I do care about the people who work in the industry. There are a lot of people who don't show up at our meetings, um, who don't have a backyard grow. They don't have their own business. They work in the industry. These are some living wage jobs. And, um, you know, medium-sized business of Mendocino folks uh, scaling up to a couple acres and hiring some friends. I think those people are also important to us. All right. Well, um, whenever we start talking about cannabis, the eyes glaze over because it gets so complicated so quickly. Uh, So let's go back to the premise of the show, which is to make the case for, um, for the ordinance as passed. We have kind of three different identified points of view around this ordinance we have the you know the supervisors who voted for it and their supporters uh you have the folks calling themselves small as beautiful who want to adjust the ordinance to take out the 10 percent of the parcel size uh the expansion and then you have the folks who want to repeal the the whole thing so why, oh, as the referenda move forward, as the you know as we move forward to a November, I think special election it would be, uh, why should people consider your point of view uh, rather than the the referendum moving forward? Well, if, if I would tell them if they sign the referendum, uh, they're voting to, to keep things the way they are. Do they think the cannabis program is working today? You have an environment where uh, cultivators aren't getting their state license; they can't become fully legal. And uh, you have water trucks uh, shuttling water to parcels without water. You have hoop houses, plastic all over, all over the woods. You don't have great environmental uh, protection and neighbor, neighbors have no say. Do you want more of that? That's what the referendum represents. Right, but what about the affirmative case? Uh, let's put a pin in that because we do have a caller and we are taking calls. 895-2448 is the number here in the Philo studio. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Please turn your phone down. I mean, your radio down. <laughs> 
Okay, yeah, I did. Well, good evening, and thank you for the show. And um, I I have con- environmental concerns. Um, uh, rain, you're talking about rangelands. Uh, undoubtedly, there's old-growth oak trees um, there that are valuable to the environment that if uh, cannabis growers were put in, uh, those oak trees would undoubtedly come down. Um, no. They sequester carbon, uh, and so they are addressing global warming as well as providing uh, very precious ecosystems. And the other thing I want to address is the fact that Mendocino County does not have a grading ordinance. And you're talking about slope. And uh, Mendocino, you know, if there's no grading ordinance, these mountainsides, these hillsides could be graded level in order to have uh, that 10% parcel, uh, no matter what, even if it's 1,000 acres, as the law seems to be written, as the ordinance is written, as it has just been passed, um, that would be possibly... A thousand acre parcel could be a hundred acres of uh, graded land, of land that's made made to be like what happens in Japan with the rice grove, because we don't have any control over whether a bulldozer goes in there and moves earth. Um, and I just want to have these environmental concerns um, addressed. I want to see it in the law. I don't want to see it in the law later um and it's a big concern okay yeah so i'm sorry thank you so much. those are really good questions um the first one was about removing um oak trees and uh no that's not allowed to plant cannabis you can't go in and cut down an oak forest uh on rangeland only uh where there's ex- an existing crop can uh, cannabis be planted. So we're not talking about opening up new land. The hillsides that you see that are undisturbed, those will not be available under the new cannabis ordinance. Where somebody has an existing farm and they're tilling, uh, they're tilling the soil, that could an application could be submitted to replace a crop. They could replace a couple acres of grapes with a couple acres of cannabis. And then I think uh, the second part of that question was about uh, bulldozing about the uh, lack of a grading ordinance. Yeah, and I, I, I think the lack of a grading, or, grading ordinance is a great topic. It's really outside the scope it's here. It's crazy. But, 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 but no, I, I, don't, I don't think... I don't, I, a, a, use, a land use um, application would go before the Planning Commission, the plant before anything was done. Any work that's done in advance, say putting up hoop houses, bulldozing, that would nullify the possibility of getting a cannabis permit. So they would start with the land without any development. And they would bring an app, a complete application to our planning department. They'd get on the planning uh, commission schedule, and they would tell the planning commission that they want to bulldoze however many acres you're talking about. Planning commission would deny it. Mendocino County is not going to allow that type of project. All right, so it's not just the Wild West, go out and bulldoze whatever you want. There's The, the Planning Commission has a say over these these permits and these plans. That's, that, 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 that's correct. All right, I have been corrected. The election would not be in November of this year. It would be in June of 22 during the regular election. That's when the referendum or referenda would come onto the ballot. This is a call-in show. I missed a call, so call or call back. It's 895-2448, and we'll take our next call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. 
Hello. I uh, am totally against this expansion of pot growing. I used to be a small-time pot grower, eight to ten plants, a pound for me and a pound to take care of my horses. I know how many chemicals I used to use, chemicals for mold and mildew, chemicals in the soil to make them big and make them strong. I don't think you four supervisors really know what you're doing. I also heard that the governor was going to give Humboldt, uh, Mendocino County, $20 million to get their licensing permits in order. Is that what this is all about? Follow the money? No, I don't. I don't think it's what it's all about. I think it's about protecting neighborhoods, protecting the environment, and allowing um, legal cultivation because California voters decided that cannabis should be uh, legal. Um, But as far as any petition that comes my way, just because I used to grow pot and I know what the effects are, and I think you four supervisors that are for this are crazy. Thank you. All right. We're going to not go for ad hominem attacks. It's okay. It's an emotional topic, and I understand why. We all do care about the environment. But um, the, the chemicals that were used in the 70s and 80s in growing cannabis, you can't do that today. The, the cannabis is tested. If there's any, any sign that those types of chemicals are used, it's not a marketable product. It's, it's more regulated than any other crop in the state. Yep. All right, we have another call. Good evening, call. You're live on the air. Go ahead and turn your radio off, please. All right, we have another call. Good evening, caller. Okay, I can hear myself, but I can't hear you, caller, so I'm going to go on to the next call. Okay, hello, caller. You are live on the air. Yes, um, I'm curious about the status of medical marijuana. I'm registered with the county and the state, and uh, it's pretty a gray area. There's my my recommendation from my, my physician says 99 plants. The county pretty much didn't say anything, nor did the state. I was wondering, um... What actually the status is in Mendocino County for medical marijuana because it seems to be where this all started and it's turned into some commercial permitted, you know, big, huge corporate farm nightmare. So I'll take my own spots off there. Have a good night. As I understand, uh, six plants. Okay. And not for market, right? Correct. All right. We have another call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Yes, I'd like to ask a question. I, I'm sorry I missed the first part of this, so I don't know. Maybe you address this, but for people that have a Phase 1 permit for a 10,000-square-foot grow, if they then want to expand in the new phases, do they lose that Phase 1 permit, or what is the transition like? What's been put in there for Phase 1, you know, 10,000-square-foot grows, all done entirely legal, ag land, Russian River flood control water, everything legit. What is their path forward? Do they lose that permit as they try and get one to expand, or does part of their prop their property stay as that, and then the next part of the property becomes part of phase three? What is the transition system? Good question. All right, they, they would submit a complete application for the, under the new land use. And uh, we're, get, we're giving I, a 60 I couldn't day understand window. the first part of what you said there. Oh. Can you repeat that, Ted? We, we, you would submit a complete uh, application under the new land use ordinance, 2218. 
and uh, you would describe all you would, under the you phase would, one permit. Yeah, put that aside for a second. You you would get a head start sixty days over applicants who are not currently cultivating, um, and uh, we, we we would review your uh, cumulative cannabis cultivation under the new ordinance. Now you, you bring up you bring up a good means. point. The the state and the trailer bill uh, earlier this week uh, changed some of the regulation related to uh, license extensions, um, which greatly affects the thousand or so that are in our system. And it, it's looking like they may get uh, one renewal before um, a significant environmental work would be required. It's putting even more pressure on us to have twenty two eighteen the, the the new ordinance. Um, my my read is, uh, you know, before I thought only 10% would be successful. Um, now I think the state is uh, effectively uh, pushing more out and pushing them out sooner. And um, anybody in the existing uh, 10A17 program should look at the trailer bill language. When you say pushing them out, you mean pushing them out of the system or pushing them through the system? Well, they may they may need to... Pushing them out of the system. Got it. I think that uh, so our, even fewer our, would be more, more than ever. Viable. Our existing ordinance isn't aligning with where the state is going with state licensing. This is this deja vu all over again. Man. <laughs> yeah. I, oh, so oh, caller, you're still there. Correctly, it yeah. sounds like you're saying that this has all been a fail. Well, I, I, I think mean, I think a lot of folks who took out applications and started down the path likely won't end up with a um, an annual state license. You know, not everybody who applies is going to be uh, successful, and uh, you know, some of those projects that fail are because applica- app- applicants uh, didn't submit complete paperwork. There's others that you know probably submitted everything right, and they just happen to be on land that will never be approved. For example, there's a sensitive species that CDFW finds, and uh, categorically, they're not going to get a state license. All right, we've got another call. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Hi, this is Tim from Moscow, Idaho. And I just want to say I've been listening to this debate on marijuana in Mendocino County for the last, what, year? And it certainly makes my head hurt. But what I really wanted to address is the notion that Mendocino County's marijuana would have any cachet in the marketplace. And my familiarity is with the Washington State um, retail stores and uh, the array and assortment and number of growers is so staggering that the thought that a person would even pay any attention to where it was grown would be difficult to comprehend. So I think when people buy marijuana, they're just buying marijuana, and where it's grown really makes no difference. They're after a variety. They're after this and that. But where it's grown, I don't think is going to make one bit of difference, and you're not certainly not going to pay a premium price for it. Mm-hmm. And and there you go. It's a good point when you're talking about the product going out into the national market, but we're also two hours from the Bay Area, and um, cannabis tourism, I think, is something that is a viable uh, economic uh, endeavor for our county because we are so close to a huge population center, and we do have locally that cachet, but point well taken. There's a lot of marijuana well, out there. Tourism is one thing, marijuana is another. 
So it all depends on what you want to shoot for. And here in Mendo, I think there's there's potential for some fusion there. <laughs> all uh, right. A couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, I, fl- I, I flew down to uh, Burbank and uh, rented a car and drove around to dispensaries to ask folks in line uh, if they know where Mendocino is. How about Humboldt Emerald Triangle? Where does the best uh, outdoor uh, cannabis come from? And uh, the only uh, person who recognized the Mendocino names pointed me to a store down, a sandwich store down the road. I went to it. It was in Whole Foods owned by Amazon called Mendocino Farms. I put this on my Facebook. What I, I came back with realizing that uh, as much as we think our name carries weight uh, in the largest market in California, um, consumers are, are looking for uh, THC to get high and they're not thinking about where it's grown. I think our name does carry more weight out of state. All right. Well, we will that will we will continue to learn about that as people uh, get more sophisticated in their marketing. Hello, caller. You are live on the air. Oh, hey. Um, I was calling about the uh, question the guy had about medical marijuana. It still exists. Um, Prop two fifteen was voted in. So the only way it could not exist is for it to get voted out. Um, and if you look it up, I think if you Google search medical marijuana in you know, county, it tells you that uh, medical marijuana is now a county-by-county county thing. So every county has a different ordinance. Um, here is 25 plants. You can do up to 99 plants if you have a certain uh, stipulation on your prescription. But, yeah, 25 plants is still the thing. Um, and six plants, that's just rec- for recreational use. You know, you just want to grow six plants in your backyard, do you think? All right. Well, thanks for that clarification. Appreciate it. All right. That's going to bring us very close to the end of the hour. Ted, I'm going to give you the last minute or so if you'd like to to wrap up and uh, make your case for the county's ordinance. Well, um, I think we've uh, learned from the failed ordinance, and we've tried to incorporate... um, changes that we think will address a lot of the problems. I think we're, it'll uh, provide better environmental protection. I think wa- water um, is huge. Not allowing uh, uh, cultivation on sites that don't have water, requiring a hydrologic test to make sure that doesn't affect neighbors. You know, I, I, from, from the calls today, I recognize that um, there's no way to sum this up in a sound bite. It's incredibly complex, and um, I would recommend having a debate if it uh, continues to be a yeah. contested issue. I think that's right, and uh, it kind of takes a lot of repetition and uh, delving into the issues, and I I learned a lot tonight. Uh, Even though I've been following the issue, I still learned a lot about some of the ins and outs. I didn't really get it that Mendocino is in a different position because we already had so many growers who want to get into the system, Um, and it makes me wonder whether or not it would be possible for us to take these grievances to the state in some way because uh, that word failed system or a failed policy, I mean... Even what you've said tonight, this is not the new ordinance or the new version of the ordinance isn't going to solve a lot of the problems that face us. And it's probably a lot of the reason why the arguing is so contentious, because there really isn't a clear way forward. So I want to thank you for giving it a shot and coming on the air tonight. Um, you're going to be on the air in the morning, too, 9 a.m. It's the TED, TED Radio station uh, but we'll be talking about all things not cannabis with karen audubani from nine to ten also a call-in show ted williams thank you very much for the hour i'm alicia bales live in the studio here in philo take care y'all and thank you so much for listening
This has been a production of KZYX Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ Willetson Dukaya 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM, Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. You can check out our website at kzyx.org to find more content like this, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thanks for listening.